I want to rehearse something that I've done several times here at the church. And then I want to add a little bit uh, to it and give us a little exhortation in it. So Romans chapter 6, I want to read three verses, verses 12 through 14. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace." That opportunity last weekend as I was away to <clears throat> speak in Sunday school, and I spoke on this aspect of personification of our sin nature. And <clears throat> I learned this, first of all, I think it was 1996, so a long time ago when I read uh, volume 6 of John Owen on our sin nature. And when I read that and I meditated through it, It absolutely frightened me because what I came to understand was is that the most dangerous enemy that I have is not outside of me. It's actually in me. And wherever I go and whatever I do and whatever fences I put up, and fences are good, whatever fences I put up, that sin nature is always there. And it's going to always be there, at least until I shed this body and be with the Lord. It really is the most deadly enemy that we have, and it's probably, I'm saying probably because I don't have any polling statistics on this, but it's probably the one enemy that believers don't think about. We'll think about sin doing it, or we'll think about sin outside of us, or we'll think about that person's a problem, or that person's causing me difficulty, or this circumstance is causing me problems. But we hardly ever think about the problem that's in every believer, and that is our sinful nature. When it comes to the armor of God, as we sang this song, in fact, I was going to ask Brother Greg if he knew that I was preaching on this tonight and deliberately did it, but I won't let him betray this. Um, When we're talking about the armor of God, we're talking about something coming from without ourselves. We know that because the fiery darts come to us. Right, But the fiery darts are intended to inflame something in us. And that is our sinful nature. The book of James talks about our tongue being set on fire of hell. Our tongue is that the first instrument of our body in which our sinful nature expresses itself. And the Bible says no man can tame the what? No man can tame the tongue. 
And so on one hand, we'll give somebody a blessing, and on the other hand, we'll curse them. All with the same instrument. The blessing would come from God, as it were, and yet the cursing would come flowing from the sinful nature that resides in the flesh of every genuine believer. So what I want to do tonight is I want to very, very quickly bring up some of the things about the sinful nature, and then I want to move to the warfare to close out tonight. We know from Romans 7 verse 21 that, and I'm quoting the King James here, that when I will to do good, evil is present with me at the very same moment. So every time we will to do good, there is an antagonist, a traitor, an enemy that is hostile to our doing good. That enemy is the sinful nature. That nature operates by law. It's predictive. It operates the same way every time. There's no inconsistency in it. It is discovered within us. And when we do discover it, it is terrifying. We actually think that we're doing pretty good. And then when we find out and God allows us to see the depths of this sinful nature a little bit more, it's actually terrifying because we thought we were doing okay and we realize we're not doing okay, that we're still sinful and we still need to be saved by the grace of Christ. And that's a good thing. God shows us more of our sinfulness. Paul began by saying, I'm the least of all saints. Then he said, I'm the least of all the apostles. But at the end of the day, he says, I am the chief of sinners. Paul grew in this aspect, and a believer that's growing is actually going to grow in this aspect also. And we really discover our sinful nature when, we, when our will is motivated by the Spirit of God to do good. That is when we begin to see it. And so all of this about our sin nature rages itself against God. It rages itself against all of God's commands. This sinful nature is hostile. It's unredeemable. It's not controllable. In other words, you can't put it to tax. Okay? It is there. It is against God. It's anti-God. Violently anti-God. And this sinful nature wants to be your Lord. Romans 6 and verse 12 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey it in its lust. Don't let sin reign. Kings reign. Lords reign. When we get saved, the enslavement to its lordship is snapped. But it wants to regain its lordship in areas of your life. So it is seen as a king or as a lord. Verse 12, it wants you to obey it. And it wants you as an instrument to carry out its will. Verse 13, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, your members as instruments of righteousness 
not as instruments of unrighteousness. And you may have a note in your Bible that says that that word instrument can refer to a tool like a farmer would use, but it can also refer to a weapon. Our sinful nature wants to use our bodies as weapons against God and against His Son. And that's terrifying for a genuine believer because we don't want that at all. Our hearts have been changed. We love the Lord. We want to do His commandments. We want to do His will. But remember, when I will to do good, what's right there? Evil is present at the very same moment. And we saw from different passages, and I do want us to look at these passages, that our sinful nature has lust. And right here, Romans chapter 6, verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust, its desires. We could word it this way if we're going to put it in modern day vernacular. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its feelings. Those feelings are very deceptive. Feeling is what the world lives for. I was watching a sports event and a bicyclist crossed the finish line. And the first question is, how do you feel about this? They want to hear how it felt. And this particular cyclist, I read an article and he was saying, they were asking him about this, and he ended up winning the whole bicycle race, but at the time it was like 21 stages to get to the finish line. And they asked him, they said, well, what what would you think about winning this? And he said, well, I would like to win it because I would like to know the feeling of winning it. Lost people do what they do for the feeling. If you covet, it's not so much the actual getting of what you want, it's the process of getting it that gives you the feeling. Because after you get it and you have it for a couple of weeks, it loses its shine, doesn't it? So there's the feeling, the lust, the desires our sinful nature has. And then there is this thing called our intellect, Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. For the mind set on the flesh, the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, our sinful nature has thoughts. Not only does it have the full range of human emotion, it can make you sad, it can make you happy. It has knowledge of everything about you. We could say this, it knows your Achilles heel. What you know about yourself, your sinful nature knows about yourself. And, we won't turn to it, but Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, it has a will, it can motivate you to do certain things. It can energize you to carry out its commands. And so, I've used this illustration several times. 
before Microsoft, or at least the way it used to be, before they gave a major operating system update, their programmers would spend weeks. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even go home. And they would work 10, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. They'd put a pillow underneath it, take a nap for two hours, wake up and go back to work. Where do you get that kind of energy? I hear something like that, I'm tired. Where do you get energy like that? Well, in many cases, it's coming from a sinful nature. Because your sinful nature wants you to sacrifice your body for it. So our sinful nature has feelings, lust, and desires. It has thoughts. And it has a will, a volition. It can reward you. And of course, we know ultimately the wages or the reward of sin is what? It's death, it's condemnation. Now, brethren, these lust and intellect and will that our sinful nature possesses really causes us difficulty when we're trying to determine the will of God about something. Now, this is true any time that we will to do good, evil is present with us, but when we're brought to a place of grave, serious, sober decision, and I made mention to you a couple of weeks ago how imperative it is that when we're making decisions like this, that we kind of sift through to the best of our ability and by the grace of God, that we kind of sift out our feelings about it and we sift out our rationalizations about it and we sift out really whether we're motivated or not to do so and sift all that out and get open our Bible and look for those signposts along the way. Yes, here's the signpost. Yes, this is a scriptural step. Let's take that scriptural step because otherwise we can be deceived. Now, brethren, these things, this sinful nature, and this isn't exclusive, exhaustive, but these things, these lust and thoughts and will, all these types of things, are engaged in a warfare against you. Have you felt that warfare? Any believer with any form of maturity, they feel that warfare. And it can get intense. Paul uses this word, agony. Is that intense? That's intense. Paul uses this word. If you're here, look over in Romans chapter 8. And you look down here, it's not chapter 8, excuse me, it's chapter 7. You look down and look at verse 24. What's the first word? Wretched. Wretched. He uses the word wretched. The word there can refer to misery, distress. (laughs) This is a big thing. To feel wretched. 
in this warfare. Paul will use the word perplexity. Paul will use the word being downcast. But probably the word that we're most familiar with when it comes to this sinful nature is the word warring. We won't turn there for time's sake, but 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, who's he speaking to? Believers. Dearly beloved, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. And just dissect those words. Beloved, abstain, cease from fleshly lust, feelings, don't carry them out. Those feelings are warring against who? Your soul. Your soul. So when we're talking about the characteristics of a sinful nature, we're talking about feelings and desires and lust that are attacking us. We're talking about intellect and thoughts and knowledge that's being used to attack us. When we're talking about will, we're talking about motivation and the will to do something. That will and motivation is attacking us. How frequently? Anytime you will to do good. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? And folks, Romans chapter 8, excuse me, I have 8, it's 7, I keep looking down here, it's 8. In verse 23, Paul is going to talk about this warfare. He says, I'll begin reading in verse 22, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war. Do we see that? You probably ought to underline that in your Bible. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. This conflict, or as Galatians 5 words it, the spirit against the flesh, and the flesh against the spirit. And thankfully, greater is he that is in us, but there still is this warfare that is going on. This sinful nature is actually attacking the good that is in you by God. He's attacking God. And it's going on where? Inside of believers. It is waging war. Now I quoted to you Peter. 
Peter uses a different word when it says to wage war against your soul. That word war refers to the engagement of a military conflict. So if you just think in your mind, here's your soul, here's fleshly lusts, fleshly desires, fleshly feelings, and the plurality of those feelings, like a military campaign, is waging a military campaign against your soul. The word here in Romans chapter 8 is a different word for warring against your soul. And its word is the word, and you'll recognize this, it's the word strategizing. So in Peter, it's like, you know, a group of people that's come together, maybe there's 20,000 people in this army, it'd be a small army, but there's 20,000 people there and they're grouped up in sections and all of those are different feelings and they all are attacking your soul. So that what? So that you would submit to their desires. Here, our sinful nature is actually like in a war room. You ever seen a war room in some of these old war films? You go in the war room and there will be a whole map out there. That map is you. (laughs) (laughs) And there will be little groups of people and they'll move them here and there's a group of people around the war table and they're strategizing against the enemy, and the enemy is you. And they're taking into account their military and the number of weaponry that they have and where they think your strongest points are and where your weaker points are. and They're strategizing to do this. And what they're strategizing against in Romans 7 verse 23 is they are strategizing against the law of your mind. Now what is going on in your mind? (laughs) Well, what is going on in your mind is, look at verse 22, I joyfully concur with the law of God where? in the inner man. King James uses the word delight. I delight. I delight in the law of God in my inner man. So in your mind, that's the connection to your inner man, in your mind, what is your position to God's laws and commandments? It's not just that you're for them or you're leaning positive toward them. You what? You delight in it. You joyfully concur. This is what I want, and this is what I want to do. But remember, when you will to do good, what's there? Evil is present at the very same moment. And if you look at chapter 7 and verse 25, he's going to talk about his mind again. He said, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... On the one hand, I myself with my mind, 
I'm slaving for the law of who? For the God. But there's something else in my flesh. And that is the law of sin. So a believer, does he delight in the law of God? Does he delight in the Word of God? Does he want to do it? The answer to that is yes. And a genuine believer, they want that. And in their mind, do they say, I will to do that? Yes. But then they find out there's an antagonist that rises its heads up again. And folks, what that antagonist is doing is he is strategizing to ensnare you. You look at verse 23 again, Romans 7. I find a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a what? Prisoner. Prisoner. Again, I'm more familiar with the King James here. But to bring you a prisoner, to make you captive to it. (coughs) Now, here's an interesting thing. The phrase, making me a prisoner, refers to being led to do something. To be brought into a prisoner state. And what that does is it really helps us because the sin nature doesn't say to you, hey, I want you to marry that lost man or that lost woman because, now get this, here's why you're doing it. You're going to divorce in six months. No, it's a gradual what? It's a gradual bringing into a snare. And remember, the reward that that sinful nature is going to give you is not life. It says it's going to be life. It's death. So it is strategizing. It is warring, as Peter would say, like a military campaign, like being in the war room of the headquarters of the inner circle of all the planning that's going on, it is strategizing in order to gradually put you in a position to where you are a prisoner, not to the law of God, but to the law of sin. Now, in a believer, it's not Lord over them, It's in their what? It's in their flesh. It's in the members of my body. That doesn't make my body bad or evil. It's just that's where it's residing. So folks, if if we were going to narrow down everything that I've just said, I think I could do it in three steps. There is a military campaign going on, number one. And it, number two, wants to bring you into captivity. It wants to make you captive, make you a prisoner. Number three, to its enslavement. That's what our sinful nature wants to do. Now that sinful nature can do it with your feelings. 
people, it's amazing to me, and I'm a people too, to be have bad grammar. <laughs> but it is amazing to me sometimes what people will give up to have a good feeling. It's amazing to me how people will reason so that they can do something. They'll even use the Bible to do it. And I've had people tell me this, say, well, it has to be the will of God because I'm motivated to do this. God wouldn't let me be motivated to do something if it wasn't His will. When what they're wanting to do is clearly not His will. The Bible explicitly, in in that particular case, says not to do it. Our sinful nature will use one of these three as its major weapon. And I think when we think about our sinful nature using one of these things as a major weapon against us, I think that we ourselves say, okay, I see that. But folks, here's where the big deception comes in. Here's the real deceit. When it uses all three. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the greatest subtlety, and this is what the serpent did to Adam and Eve, the greatest subtlety and the greatest deception It's bad enough when our sinful nature uses one of them, right? It's bad enough if it it happens to use two of these. But when all three, now listen to my wording, when all three military units come together against you and you're surrounded on every front, That is when the deception is par excellent. Let me use an example that I've already mentioned. I mentioned a, a young man or a young woman wanting to marry a lost person or to date a lost person. You say, well, I don't believe in dating. To court a lost person. Okay. (laughs) Whatever word you want to use there. Okay, I'm fine. How does a person raised in church who knows, they know, that the Bible says to marry in the Lord... Everybody with me? I'm using this illustration. I don't know of anybody that this is happening. It's always the safest. Does the Bible say to Mary and the Lord? That's clear. How, How could a young person, 
how, how could they be ensnared this way? Do young people get ensnared in this? Even believing young people. Well, <clears throat> I don't know all the ins and outs. <clears throat> but typically it goes somewhere along this general pattern. I have feelings toward this person. Everybody following me? Now, you ought to have feelings to the one you marry. If you don't have feelings for the one you marry, I pity your spouse. Okay? But there's godly scriptural feelings and there's ungodly feelings. You have feelings about this person. You like being around them. That's a feeling. You're happy when you're around them. That's a feeling. And since you are a Christian, you decide, well, I'm not sure if this is right or not, so I'll pray about it. And as they pray about it, and as they enjoy being around the person, and they, the feelings start growing, because you're, fe you're feeding it, right? You say, well, you know what? I really feel peace about this. That's a feeling. And so the more engaged you get into it, the more you feed, you feed it, the stronger it gets. To where now, you're motivated to do this. You're getting the will to do this. If you are hesitant back here, by the time you get over here, you're now having a will to do it. Where's that coming from? Now folks, follow me. That sinful nature is bringing you, isn't it? It's bringing you to this point. And having had good feeling about it, and of course you prayed about it, then you're motivated to do it. You have a will to do it. But then you begin to reason with yourself on why you get to do it. You can even use the Bible. Usually people who attempt to argue with the Bible to do something that the Bible explicitly says not to do hardly ever bring up the passages that say don't do it. Rick Warren, <clears throat> I heard an interview with Rick Warren. His church was voted out of the Southern Baptist Convention because his church uh, has a uh, 
co-pastor relationship. They have a, a man that's a pastor and his wife is the co-pastor. Do we have any verses about that? I listened to an interview with him and it wasn't until the very, very end, all the reasons he gave on why you could have a woman pastor, he didn't bring up 1 Timothy 3. He brought up controversial, quote-unquote, passages that would attempt to justify it. What did he do? He's reasoning on why he gets to do what he's motivated to do and what he has feeling to do and accept. And of course, in my illustration, this young person, whether male or female, they end up doing it. And folks, you know that in many cases, they're doing it over the objection of more mature people. And of course, when they finally get what they want, it's oh, happy day. But the happy day turns into unhappy days. So everybody see, that's just an illustration. Everybody see that? Okay. You start out, you have feelings about it. You enjoy being around them. They make you happy. You enjoy being with them. I prayed about it. I'm motivated to do this. And then I build a case on why I get to do it. Does everybody see these three things? The three military campaigns that are against you. Your feelings, your lust, your desires, the knowledge that it has of you and the motivation or the energizing to get you to do it. And you and you, that person is using the members of their body to do this. <clears throat> I've used this illustration before. This man is now with the Lord. In my previous administration, I had a very godly man stood by me and he was against divorce and remarriage and as we taught on it he was just thrilled about it he was probably one of my most vocal supporters and then his wife died And lo and behold, he decided he wanted to marry a lady in our church who had been divorced. That's amazing, isn't it? What's happening? He had a feeling. Enjoyed being around them. Talked. Mutual things in common. Begin to pray about it. Had a motivation to do it. Then begin to have reasons on why he could do what he wanted to do. And he came into my study one day and threw a book on my desk. 
and the book was on four views of divorce and remarriage, and he said, godly men differ on this issue, and walked out my door. Well, godly men do differ. But he didn't. But now he did. Why? He wanted to marry this woman. And folks, that's why I'm saying that when all three of these platoons of military units, they're assaulting who? You. Your soul. Our sinful nature does not want our soul to prosper. It does not want you to be a Psalm 1 believer. Period. And when all three of those come together, it can be what Ephesians says. It can be hand-to-hand combat. Where? Inside of you. This is true when a wife disobeys her husband or a child disobeys parents or a husband doesn't walk in love. This is true in a church. How many sinful natures in here? (laughs) Everyone here has one, right? Could it ever flare up? Well, you know it does. And could you ever say something to inflame the sinful nature in someone else? You know that's true also. This sinful nature is very deceptive. And I want to warn you, if if you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, I can handle it. If you're saying that, do me a favor. Corner some of people who've walked with the Lord for a while and ask them. Ask the Apostle Paul. I do the thing I don't want to do. Did you hear that? And I don't do the things I want to do. And he said, why? because of sin that abides in my flesh. Now thankfully, there's coming a day, Lord, come quickly, there's coming a day where you won't have any anti-God feelings. Just think about that. That would make you want, should I say this in a Baptist church? Dance? Right? Right? There's coming a day when you will have no anti-God thoughts. None. And when you think anti-God thoughts, don't just think, well, you know, don't look at this woman, don't look at that. No. Anti-God thoughts are those thoughts that ultimately come against you to take you away from God. And there will be one day 
no contrary will to God's will, no energizing or motivation in us in any fashion to walk against God. That's coming that day. And I do think that the older you get, the more you long for that day when that war is gone. That sinful nature is going to take feelings, your reasoning, your will, all in an attempt to bring it in captivity to obedience. to itself in that particular area of life. Don't think to yourself, I'm mature, I can handle it. If I could be bold, that thought is not of God. (laughs) It's the exact type of thought your sin nature would tell you. Your sin nature will tell you you have all you have all the ability to make your own decisions. Well, one day you'll have responsibility to make your decisions, but you better open your Bible. Because folks, just because your feeling is positive towards something and because you're energized to do it, and you can't and it's reasonable and rational and other people are supporting you and it does not always mean it's the will of God. I would guess that the serpent in the garden of Gethsemane was using all the human feelings for the Lord not to go to Calvary. Could you imagine that? He didn't have an inward traitor. But the principalities and powers were using His natural human abilities against Him. We are in a fight. It is a warfare. And it is an agony. And you may say, Oh, wretched man, woman, child that I am. But don't stop there. Who will deliver me? Who will save me from the body of this death? Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So truly, brethren, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, is it? It really is against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places and the traitor that is inside of you. Because it is at warfare against you because you are God's. Let's walk carefully. Can we agree to do that? Let's walk carefully. And let's walk scripturally. I don't want to hear a year from now any of us 
falling. Right now, you should say to yourself, whatever that is that you are entertaining in the depths of your heart, you ought to stop it right now and say, no. I'm going to ask the Lord to deliver me. I'm going to walk in His pathways no matter what my feeling, no matter how motivated to do against it. I'm going to walk in the path of God because at the end of that path, is His peace and His delight and His joy. Let's pray.